Quick Rant Sci-Fi Melody Crossover Event. Captain Marvel and Toxic Fandom. The Marvel MCU rolls on with Captain Marvel. Seems like it's about the 47,000th comic book movie adaptation hit the big screen in the last decade. Usually, a new MCU movie is a good thing. If it's not a good thing, at least it's just something neutral or a movie that I just don't give two craps about, like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Sorry, you may love that movie, but seriously, I just can't be bothered to spend two hours even exploring the concept of Ant-Man. Conceptually, it bores me. It might be a fine movie, it might be an awesome movie, but I don't care about it, and with 47,000 other superhero movies to go watch, plus a whole bunch of old science fiction uh, TV series that I can watch on Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon Prime, I'll spend my time watching something else, I'll stay at home. With Ant-Man and the Wasp, absolutely no one would have cared that I chose not to watch it. If I say I'm not going to watch Captain Marvel, however, my motivations for that decision are going to be analyzed. Captain Marvel is a movie mired in controversy. According to some, Captain Marvel is just another MCU film that advances the story as we head toward Avengers Endgame. According to others, Captain Marvel is simply an identity politics film masquerading as a comic book movie. What is certain is that there's a backlash brewing against the movie already before it's even released, while at the same time it's projected to have a record opening in China and clear $150 in its opening weekend and be a smashing box office success. Why is there a backlash brewing? Why is the film projected to make $150 million in its first weekend in China? Will it make $150 million in its first weekend, or will this movie be a solo-esque bust despite strong pre-sale numbers? The answers depend on who you happen to ask. Some are claiming that this backlash exists only because the MCU's toxic fandom of man-babies can't bear to see a powerful female lead, and if the hero isn't a white male, they aren't interested and aren't going to watch. Some are stating that Brie Larson's old comments while accepting an award for A Wrinkle in Time, where she said she doesn't need some 40-year-old white dude telling her what did and didn't work for her in that movie because it wasn't made for him, has alienated the mostly 40-year-old white dude fanbase for the MCU. And yet, still others are saying that they don't care about the movie because Carol Danvers is a C-list character in the comic books whose most important role in that universe is to explain how Rogue obtained her powers and to pave the way for the far more powerful and influential Ms. Marvel character to arrive, and that this movie is really just laying the groundwork for future movies happening after Avengers Endgame. So who's right? Everyone and no one. Follow me here, because this gets complicated. There is toxic fandom, and yet toxic fandom isn't the reason for the problems with Captain Marvel, Star Wars, and some of the other franchises that have fallen on hard times lately. It's a combination of many things. And to understand where I'm about to head with the rest of this rant, you have to accept a premise. And that premise is that the truth usually lies somewhere between the extreme positions taken and is a blending of multiple factors. Let me get this disclosure out of the way and this disclaimer. Toxic fandom exists. I'm not making any apologies for it now or later in this rant. There is a loud, vocal, terrible, terrible faction of nearly every major fandom that does have an agenda, does troll actors and creators and actresses on Twitter and do horrible things. 
You can't tell me toxic fandom doesn't exist. You can't tell me it's not a few bad apples. If you try to, I will argue with you until the end of time. It doesn't matter if the fan base is the MCU, Star Wars, Star Trek, Ghostbusters, or Metallica. Every fan base has a dickhead quotient that is resistant to any changes whatsoever. It exists. Toxic fandom is not okay. It's not, however, the only reason for controversy around Captain Marvel, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star Trek, or anything that you may want to throw out there. Now, the questions that I'm going to try to answer as we move forward are, does toxic fandom exist? Why do fans care when franchises adapt and change or recast existing characters? Is every fan who checks out because of a change a toxic fan? And is toxic fandom the only thing killing franchises see Star Wars? Let's start with does toxic fandom exist? As already said, yes. My nerd heart lives in the Star Trek universe. It's my happy place. Trekkies are toxic. There is a toxic Trekkie portion of the base. Star Trek Discovery routinely gets destroyed as not real Star Trek by people who have never watched a single episode. Abrams' Trek is reviled by the base as not real Star Trek and was rejected by large parts of the base because they changed certain things that the base didn't accept as changed. Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and even Star Trek The Next Generation met with resistance at their launch. When Star Trek The Next Generation was being pitched, fans were protesting in the streets because it wouldn't be about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. That was 1986, people. Toxic fandom has been around forever, and it will continue to be around forever. Why? Because some of us become very wrapped up in this, and some of us tend to lose the ability to distinguish between reality and fiction, or at the very least, blur the lines between reality and fiction. It becomes way too real for us. It becomes a retreat from the real world. Cue crying wrestling fan, it's still real to me. It means something to us. We come to identify with these characters, and in a remote way, in a detached way, we think of them as friends we've never met, people we've come to know. They become as real to us as people who are real flesh and blood. They influence us. You can laugh at me right now, but one of the most influential pieces of wisdom and philosophy in my life is from Jean-Luc Picard, and it comes from the episode Peak Performance where he tells Data, who is questioning his competence because he's lost a game of Stratagemo to the Grandmaster Kolarmi, and he's not supposed to be able to lose because he's a machine and he's supposed to be infallible, Picard tells Data, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. I can't tell you how many times I have turned to that quote when things have not gone my way, and I have to look at it and say, why did this not go my way? Why did I not succeed here? Why did I fail? It's not a weakness. It's life. You accept it. You move forward. Is that piece of wisdom any less valuable because it was delivered by a fictional character and not a real historical character or not given to me by a flesh and blood mentor? You can't tell me that it isn't because it means something to me and it has helped me through moments of failure. And because of these things, we become attached to these characters. They become impactful to us. We come to feel that we have an ownership in these characters and these franchises. We don't, but we think that we do. And when we see them changing, we become resistant to that change because like Linus, we just want our security blanket. This isn't a fictional character. It's a friend. Then along comes some Hollywood douchebag writer or director 
who never even was a fan and doesn't even know the first thing about the Force, the Rule of Two, Grand Admiral Thrawn, or that Luke Skywalker married Mara Jade for Crip's sake, and he decides to turn Luke Skywalker, the man who never gave up on restoring Darth freaking Vader, the epitome of evil for a generation, to the light, into a coward who hides in isolation while the galaxy crumbles into darkness because Luke failed his nephew once. The man who never gave up on the definition of evil quits because he failed his nephew once. The man who looked at the emperor and said, you failed your highness, hides and cowers while the galaxy falls because he failed his nephew once. We can't accept it. We can't reconcile it. We don't like this change. And our reaction to this is where the fandom splits. Some of us simply tune out. We check out. The Last Jedi is the last Star Wars movie we're going to watch. We're done. We find something else. We pretend The Last Jedi never happened. We have to go back and pretend The Force Awakens never happens. Because if The Force Awakens happens, that means the films can't stop at Return of the Jedi and leave us with the good memory of the character that we came to love and identify with. And that's fine. That's a fine reaction from any fan. You are not obligated to keep watching Star Wars films because it has Star Wars on it and you were once a fan. If the product is no longer what you want to consume, you are allowed to stop watching. You have that right. Some of us, however, take that dark left turn and become a toxic fan. We don't just stop watching the new Star Wars. We decide ahead of time that Solo is going to suck and that the movie will violate our childhood memories horrifically and in ways I can't talk about because I'm keeping the family-friendly rating for the sci-fi melody crossover event, but just imagine what I'd say, Quick Grants fans, and that this movie will retroactively destroy our identity. So we declare war on the movie and anyone associated with it. Fans call for a boycott of a movie they've never seen and haven't even bothered to read a treatment of and don't know what it's going to be about. They just know that it's going to suck because Disney's involved and they don't want to see what they're about to do to Han Solo and Lando. And they have an idea of the backstory of how Han won the Millennium Falcon and what Han and Lando's life was before they appeared on screen. And they don't want to see Disney screw it up. But they don't stop there. They go troll and attack the actors and actresses on Twitter and then they write zero star reviews for a movie that they never even watched and they review bomb it. And that's happening. Don't tell me it's not happening because bringing this back to Captain Marvel, it's happening right now. Right now, Rotten Tomatoes is showing a 28% interest in this movie, which was around 98% when the trailer was released. Somehow, 28% of the people going to Rotten Tomatoes want to see a movie that based on pre-sold tickets will open at 150 million. And at one point in time, before Brie Larson's old comments were turned up and people realized that this was going to be a movie about female empowerment, 98% wanted to see. Something is clearly wrong here. It's already known that there are groups organizing review bombing of this movie. Same thing happened with Black Panther when they had to shut down a group of 4,000 who were planning to review bomb it with zero reviews. Don't tell me it doesn't happen because it does happen. That's beyond simply being a fan who doesn't like the product. Now you've decided that because the product isn't what you like, you need to stop the product in its current iteration and force it back to what you want it to be. Now, what's the motivation for that? And that we'll get to a little bit later on here. But back to Captain Marvel. It's pretty clear that Captain Marvel is going to have a female empowerment message. While it's going to be a Marvel comic book movie with the action, humor, fun, solid writing, and beautiful cinematography that all of that entails, it's also very much going to be a female empowerment movie, and we know that based on how it's marketed. And that means it's going to be an identity politics movie that explores female strength. For some MCU fans, 
that's enough to stay home. They aren't watching comic book movies to hear a social agenda preached to them. They are watching comic book movies to escape that. Generally, the MCU has never preached a social agenda. It is a place people can go to get away from what is an ever-present discussion in our society that some of them just don't want to hear anymore. Or maybe they just want two hours of escapism from it where they don't have to talk about this. If the medium no longer serves that purpose, why should they not go find another method of escaping the conversation for a couple hours? For other MCU fans, it's a call to battle. They must kill this movie. This movie must be a bomb. Only if the movie loses money, with massive financial losses, will the studios understand that comic book fans don't want social messages in their films and they definitely don't want one about female empowerment. That is the only way to make the studios learn not to make those movies. They must protect their domain and their refuge from the SJWs. The SJW incursion into their territory must be shut down and shut down hard. Captain Marvel is dangerous. If Captain Marvel is successful, it could demonstrate that comic book fans do like diversity and they want more diversity and they will watch movies with female leads and non-white male leads. Maybe X-23 stays around. Maybe Wolverine doesn't come back. Maybe Jane Foster remains as the mighty Thor. Or maybe some other characters get converted into female leads or non-white male leads. And these are some things that some of these fans can't stomach. They won't deal with it. They won't accept it. Steve Rogers can't be a black woman named Stephanie Rogers. Because that will destroy the Captain America character. We can believe everything else about Captain America. Stephanie Rogers could behave exactly as Steve Rogers would behave. But if it isn't a white male playing Steve Rogers, some people just aren't going to pay attention anymore. Some are exactly what they appear to be. Misogynist bigots who just don't watch stories about people who don't look like them. Why do I say some are who they appear to be? Captain Marvel isn't even out yet. We don't know what this movie will be. We don't know that it is the type of feminist power message that's going to say men suck for two hours and that the world would be better off if all men disappeared or were simply retained for breeding purposes under careful government supervision. That's not creepy. Not at all. <laughs> I also know that some of this is absolutely backlash against Brie Larson. The comments in question that have been the call to arms for comic book fans were made about the movie A Wrinkle in Time. Brie Larson didn't come out and say that 40-year-old white dudes don't need to come watch Captain Marvel. She made these comments about A Wrinkle in Time, and she said she doesn't care if A Wrinkle in Time worked for a 40-year-old white dude because it was a movie that wasn't made for 40-year-old white dudes. She also said, if you take the whole conversation in context, that she wanted to see more press members at her tours who weren't white men to increase the diversity of the coverage and maybe counteract the implicit and unrecognized bias that white men may have towards a superhero movie that has a female lead and is potentially a female empowerment movie. In context, that's what Brie Larson said. The hateful, evil, man-hating feminist. She's found in the matriarchy, people, to arms to battle. She must be stopped. Seriously? Prior to these comments being paraded, most people wanted to see Captain Marvel. I thought it looked pretty good in the trailer. I was interested. I remain interested. I still want to see the movie. I generally don't go watch the MCU movies in the theater unless it's a major one, like Avengers Endgame. But 
I might watch this one because I'm going to have to so that I understand what's going on in Avengers uh, Endgame. I may see it in the theater. It is a movie that I remain interested in seeing, and I have no thoughts of checking out of it because it's going to be have a female lead and be about female empowerment. But there is a group of toxic fans that have attempted to kill this film. And I don't know if it's 10% of the MCU fan base that's toxic or 50%. Maybe it's more than 50%. Maybe it's less than 10%. I don't know because we don't have this discussion. We, we have a debate if all of the base is toxic or if none of it's toxic. And that's absurd because ultimately some of the base is and some of the base isn't. I know it's not an MCU movie, but Alita Battle Angel opened up recently. And Alita Battle Angel is doing fairly well at the worldwide market. It's made $350 million. It's only made $78 million in the United States on a budget of $175 million. I can tell you that 60% of the audience that have gone to see Alita Battle Angel are male. 44% of them is Caucasian. Now, maybe that number seems low, and maybe that's why the numbers in the United States are lower than what they are overseas. I don't know what this says about the percentage. And maybe Alita Battle Angel just isn't as good of a movie as some of these other movies that were blockbusters at eight, nine hundred million. But I do know that there are a lot of people out there who are very excited to see that movie. And there was a major drop off after its first week. And that could be because of some of the issues in the movie that it might not have lived up to. It's not doing so well in critical reviews. But we don't examine those numbers. We should be examining those numbers. We should be looking at Alita Battle Angel and comparing it to other similar animes and seeing what percentage of the Caucasian white male fan base stayed home and didn't watch that, but went to go see the other movies. And if we did that more often, instead of just with Alita Battle Angel and maybe with Captain Marvel and compared it to Avengers Endgame and Thor Ragnarok, and we expanded it across an entire genre and looked at all of it, we might find out what percentage of the fans are toxic and just staying away because it happens to be a female leader have an identity politics agenda to it. But back to the point. Toxic fans are a problem for many franchises, but it's also only part of the problem. Moving on with this, where I said, is toxic fan bases the only reason that some of these franchises are struggling? Creators have stopped telling stories that people want to hear, or at least that their base wants to hear. Let's look at Star Wars. Star Wars was never a social commentary. Disney bought the rights to Star Wars and made it a social commentary and interjected a left-wing progressive political agenda. When it comes to science fiction, you can usually define the type of science fiction fan by asking them one question. Do you like Star Wars or Star Trek more? The guy who answers Star Wars tends to like action and fast-paced film. The guy or girl who answers that they like Star Trek tends to like slower, heady, introspective films that explore the nature of humanity and the human condition, and they tend to tell you that 2001 A Space Odyssey was a good movie and try to tell you why Star Trek The Motion Picture wasn't terrible if you sit down and take the time to look at what's going on in the subtext. Disney bought the flagship action, no commentary on the exploration of the human condition science fiction franchise, crammed a humanist agenda and a left-wing progressive agenda into the new movies, and can't figure out why the base is revolting. So for your next trick, Disney, would you like to buy the NFL and change the rules to eliminate passing, touchdowns, blocking, and tackling, and only allow the teams to kick the ball around the field and eventually try to kick a field goal and then wonder why the toxic fan base left after you changed the product to something that they don't even recognize? You took a successful product and you changed it into something that it wasn't. Same with Star Trek. 
When Star Trek was rebooted in 2009, the studio said, forget this heady talking crap. I want explosions and action and the Beastie Boys music played so loud it destroys the bad guys. Seriously, that was how Star Trek Beyond ended. You may have forgotten this, but go watch it. They beat the enemy by blasting Beastie Boy music out of the Enterprise's speakers so loud that it breaks up the enemy swarm. Sonic disruption by playing the Beastie Boys really loud. And you wonder why a fan base that loves to argue the merit of the, of the Prime Directive for hours, its pros and its cons, of not interfering in the natural development of pre-warp flight species. You wonder why that fan base checked out when your last movie used loud Beastie Boy music as the weapon to defeat the enemy. Ditto Captain Marvel. The base knows what you've done here. The base knows. You needed a standalone female superhero film to counter DC's Wonder Woman. And in doing that, you chose a C-list character that not many in the comic book world really cared about and that has never yet been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You put her in right before Endgame, the culmination of this phase of the MCU. And there are hints that you're going to add her right now, one movie before the end, and that she's the key to defeating Thanos. No one likes a new character supplanting the heroes they have followed right at the biggest boss fight. No one. They don't like a male or female character doing that. If it was Scarlet Witch that was going to be the key to Thanos, you may have people who are upset about it, but at least Scarlet Witch has been around for a while. If it was Black Widow, at least she's been around for a while. You added a character out of nowhere that's hinted at being one of the keys to taking down Thanos. And you think the base isn't going to have an issue with that? Look, one of the biggest problems I have with Dune is that I read something like the 19 books and the 15,000 pages of Dune for it all to be about Duncan Idaho, <laughs> not even about an Atreides at the end. So you pull this one on me? No. One of the problems I have with George R.R. R. Martin right now in his stalled Game of Thrones novels is in the novels, it appears that this whole thing is going to come down to a brand new character by the name of Griff. Winning the Iron Throne. Now, if you look at the TV series, that's not going to happen. But no, and I hate that. No one wants to invest a whole ton of time and hours into a story to find out that someone is going to come in right at the very end and be the most important, biggest, best thing introduced at the final hundred pages. And then all the characters you came to know and identify with aren't going to be the ones that get the win in the end. The base knows from the marketing that this is a political and social agenda film. Generally, your product in the MCU doesn't have overt political and social agendas. Black Panther might have been the closest thing to that, and even in Black Panther, it was muted and didn't slap you in the face with a sledgehammer with it. You changed the product. You changed what you're giving your base. You wonder why people watching comic book movies? Comic book movies about superheroes with special suits that have magic powers like Stephen Strange or Scarlet Witch who can wave her hands around and make things happen or Iron Man with a magical suit of armor that lets him defeat anything. You wonder why grown men and women watching movies about superheroes with magic powers essentially don't want a political agenda mixed in to that reality-escaping BS that they're watching. It's an escapism, and they're trying to escape from the real world and get away from everything that annoys them, and you're going to cram something down their throat into a product that has been a safe retreat for them from that, and you wonder why they don't like it. And to top it all off, you used a C-list character 
whose real purpose in the main comic book world was to pave the way for Rogue's development by stealing her powers and also to be the influence or the idol of Ms. Marvel. Carol Danvers isn't that important. And look, I'm not a comic book guy, so I've got to stand on the shoulders of what I've read and what I've seen and from I've talked to other people and friends who are in the comic book world. But Carol Danvers, from everything I've seen, isn't a mainstream character. And that's another problem. You brought this movie out, you crammed a social agenda down, and you didn't use a mainstream character that people care about. So why, why would the MCU base, male or female, that doesn't generally want a social agenda thrown down their throat, which they've said, going to stomach a social agenda for Captain Marvel? To see a story about a character they don't really care about? So what's going on here? Why is this movie stuck in controversy? Everything I've just said. There are toxic fans who are racist, bigoted, misogynistic, Neanderthal man babies that have decided that this movie must die because it is a threat. If it's a success, then maybe they have to stomach more non-white male leads in the comic book world. But it is also creators who stopped listening to their customer base and stopped telling stories the base wants to hear and started saying, you will like the stories we decide you will like. There is a war going on in the comic book world and in the major Hollywood franchises between creators and the base. The base just wants creators to tell stories within the rules and bounds of an established world, with the characters behaving how we have always known them to. They want the writer to take the time to know the universe, whether Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Marvel, Star Trek, whatever and write a story that conforms to its parameters. Look, if Metallica all of a sudden started producing country western songs and country pop, the bass would have a right to look at them and say, this isn't what we want, and we're not going to buy this country pop album because it says Metallica, and it's got James Hetfield and Lars playing the music. Sorry, they're probably going to check out. It's not the same thing. We put a lot of time into reading the books, the comics, or watching these movies, films, cartoons, or animes. Is it too much to ask the writer to put enough time in to become familiar with the universe and the world that they're going to be playing in? And the writer, the writer just wants to tell a story and doesn't want to be bound by what Gene Roddenberry did in 1966 or what George Lucas did in 77 or 97. They don't want to have to go back to an original run of Spider-Man from 1953 and read that along with every other reboot to understand what and how they need to write Spider-Man. The writer just wants to tell a story and get paid. And maybe they don't even know anything about the universe they're stepping into, but they know how to write. Maybe it happens that Disney pays Ryan Johnson to tell a story in the Star Wars sandbox. Ryan doesn't feel that he has to take your concerns into account. He just feels he needs to write a story that the people paying him are willing to make. Each side has to bend. Fans have to realize that times change. Writers change. Stories, universes, and characters change, adapt, and grow. You can continue to consume that product or you can check out. What you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you're a jerk if you do, is decide that I don't want to see this movie and I'm going to write false reviews so that other people don't go see the movie and I'm going to try to make sure that I kill the creative work of these people without letting it have its fair chance to see if there's an audience for it. What you can't do is troll the actors and actresses. What you can't do is start misinformation campaigns. You can, but it makes you a toxic fan and it makes you the bad guy in the story and it gives the creators the ammunition to sit there and say, 
no, it's not us writing bad stories. It's this toxic fan base that's misleading people and they're judging it before. It has nothing to do. Look, people like our film. If you take away all the fake zero reviews, people like it. You're giving them their ammunition. Creators, you need to realize that you can't tell an existing base what they will like. And just because it says Star Wars on it means that they have to like it. I can't, you can't be a chef and I come in and order hamburger, order a cheeseburger done medium well, and you come out and give me a filet of fish and then tell me it's my problem because I don't want to eat the filet of fish and that filet of fish is a good hamburger. And look at me like I'm crazy. Couldn't do that in a restaurant. But apparently you can do it in Hollywood and the fan base is supposed to just like it. Now, on that restaurant thing, you as the you as the uh you as the consumer can choose not to pay for your fillet of fish. You can choose not to eat your fillet of fish. You can't throw the fillet of fish back in the face of the chef and then go stand outside the restaurant and tell everyone. You can go tell everyone they served you a fillet of fish, but you can't assault the chef. You can't troll the chef and you can't bomb him on social media every single day with horrible comments about how he's killing the the restaurant industry. Now, I don't wait on a ranting rabbit hole here, but this is quick rants. OK. Creators. You don't have to compromise all of your ideals. But if you tell stories that your base doesn't care about, don't be surprised when they don't watch and they don't read what you've written and they don't consume what you've produced. Until the war between creators and fans has ended, all of these major franchises will continue to be toxic. Why does Star Wars have a problem? Why does Star Trek have a problem? Why does the comic book industry, the trade industry, have a problem? Why does the MCU have a problem with Captain Marvel? All of these things. Toxic fans. Creators who don't want to listen. The fact that things change. The fact that we have non-toxic fans who simply just don't want to see these things change. All of these things contribute to problems with these long-lived franchises that are now going on 40, 50, 60 years. It's not a simple thing. And it's not, it's not that it's only toxic fans or it's only creators it's a combination of everything this has been a sci-fi melody quick rants crossover if you like this podcast please give it a five-star review if you just listened to quick rants and you like the fact that i talked about this sci-fi stuff go check out sci-fi melody if you've just listened to sci-fi melody and you like this uh little different format and ranting style here go check out quick rants be advised it's not like sci-fi melody i swear a lot i sprinkle in the f word like it's just a little bit of seasoning in a meal here and there and everywhere and i go oh hey look there's where an f-bomb can fit let's just throw one in so it's a little different as always thank you for listening